I never grew up with educators that look like myself. So I feel like, honestly, like we are that new wave that make being wise, being smart, being educated cool, right? Wisdom is, is a powerful tool, but oftentimes we might neglect it because of who it's coming from, you feel me? But if we can top it up with a young buck and really implant a seed, man, like that's, it's more than just education at that point, you know what I'm saying? What's going on, beautiful people? This is the Let's Grow Together podcast, where diverse individuals and communities come to serve, connect, and grow in areas that they're most passionate about. This is your boy, James. You can find me on IG at jturner0121. What's going on, brother Marcus? What's up with you, family? As always, man, another beautiful day full of opportunity, growth, and all that good stuff. Um, Again, man, tap in with me, family. Y'all can find me on IG at mastermind underscore Marcus. But man, beyond vibrant, I'm out here in New York, man, a little bit of a different scenery out here in the Hilton, kicking my feet back with the new role. You feel me? Consulting and all that good stuff. Um, Been a phenomenal week for for the organization, man. We had an opportunity to to do a couple of things. We I recently spoke at a black history forum and the topic was uh, black resistance. So my specific portion was dedicated to normalizing black brilliance, beauty and bureaucracies. Well, when I tell you that joint was fire, that joint was fire, right? And then we also had an opportunity to speak with some uh, local at Promise youth at what we call the Character Academy, which is helping to uh, really redefine the trajectory of a lot of uh, troubled youth. And uh, we talked about where you come from doesn't define you. And man, it was beautiful just to see the, the, the eureka moment. A lot of things click for a lot of youth. And again, man, just proud to be a testimony. Again, being here in New York with a company, my first time in New York. They flew me out. They paid for everything. And again, who would have ever thought? You know what I'm saying? So, bro, I'm just, I'm ecstatic. I'm beyond appreciative for the opportunity, the elevation. And again, really working to bridge the gap between corporate and community and uh, my focus and my passion. Hey, brother, man, I, I told you offline, man, congrats, congrats, congrats on the on the change of the pace, man. And then I'm just, I'm just super proud of you because although, you know, you saying you want to bridge that gap, you have already been bridging that gap. And you have been an example for our, our our youth because they get to see you firsthand do this stuff. Like, you know, and I know that we talked again offline more about you going into the role for all the people that you can help impact or help benefit. So, man, shout out to you, man. I got to give you your flowers. You know how we do it, man. Um, But, man, I'm doing well myself, bro. I'm actually blessed, highly favored as always. And it dawned on me today um, when we were talking a little earlier that we are running nine programs right now. And, you know, some are remote, some are in person, but bro, we are making an, an immense impact in our community because a lot of the people that we we come in contact with are, are high school and middle school students, some college students as well, and even adults, bro. And um, it's just super dope to, to really get paid to do what I love to do. Like, I could not make this up, man. And, and I'm just blessed to do that. But um, right now we're in the process of trying to train the next group of mentors so that we can you know, ultimately replace ourselves in the classroom, because if we're doing nine programs now among six of us, you know, when we get to 10, 20, you know, programs, it's going to be nearly impossible for us to do that and have the bandwidth to do it. But uh, we're actually working on a project right now um, that is going to accelerate that process, right, where we can move, remove ourselves from these, these, these places physically, but our presence is still there. So um, can't really talk too much about that because it's in development. But when I tell you this is next level and it's going to change the game for us, bro, like I'm excited, man. I'm, I'm super excited. 
Hey, believe me, I'm already knowing that boy said nine programs. Come on, my boy. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I, I love it, man. Y- y'all boys doing y'all thing. And as always, man, flowers are reciprocated, man. I-, I love working with y'all doing. Keep it going, man. The youth need it. Y'all definitely a testimony for the next generation. So, again, kudos to y'all boys. And we're going to keep it rolling, man. For real, for real. Um, But, again, man, we got an awesome individual coming on the conversation, man. My my brother, I, and I can really say that in, in every bit of the word, my brother, man, uh, met this individual at a forum dedicated to advancing youth. And Lily, man, we just click. I'm talking about click from rapping about passions to end up ciphering in the car. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we, we, we really just align. And uh, one thing I can say, this brother is genuine as heck, man, and really care about the next generation. And that was one thing that we aligned in just immediately. And again, as we always talk about giving our flowers, but generally, generally meeting a stranger to learning from a brotherhood to throwing each other alley-oops and exchanging this network and doing it selfishly, man, is one thing that has really continued to keep me in partnership with this brother, man. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce my good brother, Mr. Isaiah Withers. Come on off mute. Turn on that video. Say what's good to the people for me, family. Man, what's good, everybody? Uh, I want to first say thank you to Marcus and James for, you know, allowing me to be on this amazing platform. And we since we're talking about flowers, because I believe in, you know, we always, there was a quote, I want to say Huey P. Newton said, where we never give uh, our suit to our folks when they sick. We are, but we never give, but we, we, we never give the soup to our folks when they sit, but we always get the flowers when they're gone. So I always like to say, go ahead and pass over that suit with a spoon with it. So I want to say shout out to you, James, uh, with your nine programs, brother. I've been hearing about the work that you're doing and it's fantastic. And again, always my brother, Marcus, shout out to you, man, and the amazing work you're doing, Roots Mentor, uh, all the empowerment workshops that you're doing to the speaking engagements. So I reciprocate that back to you two gentlemen as well, man. And it's a pleasure to be here on the show. Hey, man, we appreciate you. <laughs> thank you thank you let's let's talk about it briefly man just give the the audience a quick synopsis man how do we meet how do we even get in contact i want to hear it from you man so i uh i want to say 2019 correct me if i'm if i'm if i'm right if i'm wrong marcus it was 2019 with the national black worker center and nc block was holding a basically a space for activists, leaders in the community of North Carolina to come together and talk about strategies that we can use not only in our organization, but in coalition to kind of move, you know, North Carolina forward through all the efforts we were doing. So you had a mixed bag of folks doing police accountability, workers' rights, youth development, uh, voter rights, uh, community engagement, and et cetera, et cetera. And when I was there, you know, uh, a few people I knew, and a lot of a lot of folks were new faces. And immediately off the rip, I ran in, bumped shoulders with Marcus. We were able to chop it up. I heard about the amazing things he was doing, and I was like, "Man, that's incredible!" And I'm like, "Where you located, brother?" And I found out he was in the Cumberland uh, County area, and I was like, "Man, we need something like that over here in Raleigh, or even back where I'm from, which is in the sticks in Reesville." And I was just enamored by all the work he was doing. And next thing you know, man, like he said, we in the car ciphering uh, over old J Cole beats, Mob Deep beats, shook ones, spitting verses, uh, and he also introduced me to uh dj mayor who now anytime i need 
the DJ, anytime we're doing any type of producing, um, I contact DJ Mayer. Matter of fact, I had the honor just from the connection of me and Marcus rubbing elbows and him introducing me to his fam, I had the honor of doing a mixtape, a workers' rights mixtape with none other than DJ Mayer, my brother Tobias, where he produced all the joints, mix and mastered it all. And each track is answering the different needs of our black workers when they're on the workplace dealing with discrimination or health and safety issues, man. So that's where I remember, man, running into a uh, young legend himself, Marcus, out there at the uh, retreat out in the Franklin Tenor Brick. Hey, I, I appreciate the flowers, man. But one thing you ain't happened to, bro, we were at a buck-breaking plantation. For those individuals who don't know what that is, we were at a plant at a former plantation where the resistance slaves were, where they were, let's just say for 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 let's just say the resistance slaves were uh exploited to with intentions of uh causing them to be a bit more submissive. So it was a very historical setting where you could feel the energy everywhere, man. And again, being able to connect with another brother, Lily, I didn't know this brother at all, but we were selflessly able to connect, align different resources, and again, truly grow together, man. And everything that this brother do, it was just his energy, it was his demeanor, it was his humbleness. We were truly able to build. And again, he's been able to come out to a lot of schools in which we work with. He's been able to speak to empower them and develop them. And again, we've been able to bounce resources off each other on a consistent basis. So this is a prime example of putting that pride, putting that ego aside in which we struggle with as a community and as a black man to the next to be able to build together. And again, he's been able to impact countless lives in which I've crossed paths with and vice versa. So again, man, just a true testimony to this brother, man, just the selfless nature that comes with it. Um, but again, man, we could talk about that for days, but I really want to dive into your background, bro. Um, I think you have a very interesting background. So I want to just get a little, a little bit of insight about your background, your story and go from there. Man, absolutely. And I received those flowers as well, Marcus. I appreciate you, brother, for your words, man. Um, for me, I am a down to the uh, to the core country boy from Reesville, North Carolina. For a lot of folks, they don't know where that is. The population uh, is literally my folks. No, I'm joking. Uh, it's a real small town. We're known for our football. It's right outside of Greensboro, heading into Virginia, right next to Winston-Salem, kind of right in the cut uh, between uh, Winston-Salem and Martinsville, Virginia, and Greensboro is reasonable, right on 29, Highway 29. So I was born and raised there uh, by my mother, and I, I got engaged in this work for our people and advocating for our people because in Reesville, we had a serious issue with uh, a reoccurring presence of conservative, you know, clans type individuals that lifted up what I like to call uh, white priority. I don't like to say white supremacy because I don't believe that there is any individual that's more supreme than anybody. So I like to say white priority. So they would lift that up uh, within my hometown. So it wouldn't be uncommon to see statues or monuments or flyers that were spewing propaganda or white priority or uh, clan conservative things, that things of that nature, essentially. So I started growing closer 
to the movement and I wanted to find an outlet that I could, you know, attach on to, which kind of led me down this path. Started off with the NAACP as president and the Rockingham County chapter uh, while, you know, under William Barber, Jeff Chris. Um, and then from there, been able to kind of grab on to other different outlets of using hip hop music, using studying uh, anarchy, studying uh, different uh, different styles of organizing, doing research on the Black Panther Party, um, individuals that came, Ella Baker, you know, Angela Davis, different individuals, and just trying to piece together, you know, how can I make a, a, a bigger impact in the community. So from there, starting different organizations, working closely with the youth uh, in the community in Reesville, Rockingham County. And what led me to where I am now was prior to working with the National Black Workers Center, I have been through several jobs where I have always ran into the same reoccurring issue. The manager is always is the manager is always creating a space where black workers are not having a chance to advance, nor having the chance to actually get benefits or a full-time gig in their workplace. So I kept finding that reoccurring theme. And I was trying that would then put my focus into workers' rights. So my last job was at Duke University, uh, where I worked at a landscaping. And from that, I was able to network and, you know, kind of pose as a student at Duke, work my way around campus, um, which did lead to some free lunch and free books. Uh, university can't say nothing now, we out of there. But, you know, work my way around campus, uh, talking to different professors, talking to different college students, which then led me to a path of meeting one college student that met that that led me to another college student that led me to uh, the organization that I work with now, which is the National Black Worker Center Project. And um, at that time, Worker Center Project. So when I gave them the call and we were able to uh, connect and we saw eye to eye on the workers' issues, it, it became a marriage from then on and uh, it's been on ever since. Man, I think I think that's super, super dope. Um, and forgive my Thank ignorance, you, I didn't even know this was a thing where, where I did know like people advocated for like workers' rights and things like that, but I didn't know that there was a specific platform or or organization that did it for Black people. So I want to give you kudos for that, um, just even giving me that awareness. But um, I wanted to go back to something you said in the beginning because I don't want that to be overlooked. You said that you you made a mixtape for um, basically advocating for workers' rights. So I think that's even dope in itself because um, I think about some of the work that we do and we talk about like creating a uh, personal development mixtape or album. So I just think that's super dope. So we may have to connect offline on like how that how that came about. But um, just listening to where the passion came for the work that you do now, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, white. I don't I forget how you phrased it, but um, it was basically like a clan pres presence. Oh, white priority. That's what you said. Um, like it sounds like you have a passion for history and knowledge. Um, share with our listeners where that passion for history came from. No, definitely, uh, uh, James. And yeah, we definitely have to connect uh, again on that mixtape, man. We can uh, definitely collaborate on it, man. Do some Who Kid. Uh, I know that was before a lot of people's time. DJ Who Kid, DJ Clue. But anyway, I digress. But yeah, we definitely got to connect, brother. Um, you know, James, for me to fully understand the dynamic of what was happening in my community. History was uh, imperative. You know, I had to get a grips 
on what came before. Because in my mind and in my knowledge, living in a rural small town, you think, you know, pretty much this is the world other than access that the internet can give you, but you're not really expanding beyond those turf. So for me, uh, immediately, I wanted to try to understand, yes, we have, uh, we have an ever growing presence of conservative supporters. We have a statue, Confederate statue that represents slavery and so many horrible things that affected my people. However, I wanted to know the timeline of what was the timeline of that that led to this, you know, how can we fight back against this? And then also, what does uh, poverty play into the mix? You know, because I think it's a mixed bag of a lot of different dynamics happening in small towns. You know, you have an ever-growing presence of racism, of course, but then you have an ever-growing presence of poverty. Because when you live in a small town, you're kind of constricted to the same old factories that are calling your name. And for my hometown, it was tobacco, textile and a chicken plant and most of the time it's almost like they kind of condition you preparing you to go to either one of those factories because in high school for me uh the biggest uh rhetoric and mantra was you know think about the military or think about getting a trade at one of the great factories that we have in this city so i i wanted to try to connect those dots james because for me to actually be able to fight back or for me to be able to organize, I had to make sure I could use and uh, all the tools I could use to my disposal um, because I knew going out there or I knew engaging in this was in a game. It was it was really serious at that time. There were people uh, protesting rallies of Confederate supporters, uh, people getting hurt because they were getting into debates or conflicts with these individuals. Um, and this is before any type of Trump propaganda. It was already a growing urge to maintain that white order that was even present in uh, my hometown. So I wanted to get that history, learning about uh, different individuals from Rod Walter Rodney, uh, learning about Huey P. Newton, learning about the uh, A. Philip Randolph, who started the first Black uh, union for the railroad workers, the sleepy car porters, learning about Dorothy Bowden with the National Domestic Workers, a Black woman who was a houseman who got on buses just to communicate with other housemaids um, and to organize for their community because she believed if we could organize in the workplace then we could finally have the due diligence to look outwards to help our, our community and fight back against social justice so I would study these individuals and I would you know look everybody up see how their stories worked see how they organized and take what I could from it while understanding the timeline to what led us to where we were in my hometown. Bro, that one, that's fire. And this is a prime reason in which I, I wanted to have you on the podcast. Um, my grandmother always told me history tends to repeat itself. So it's very vital in which we know and we understand and grasp. And again, being a young black man, you definitely dive into the history. You are very affluent and you can speak that, right? Um, that's one thing in which we aligned. And honestly, you inspire me a lot because, yeah, I know the traditional, you know, individuals in which our, our history books, uh, well, let me take that back, our history books don't speak of, but our communities speak of and really, really raise and prioritize. Um, but again, it's beyond vital to really know and understand the different nuances in which they face and it leverage, leverage that to motivate us. In a recent speech I gave, I talked about move as if your ancestors are watching you and you'll move with that, mu that much more intentional. And that's one thing in which you do. And I definitely want to give you your, your kudos too. 
I would love if more of us who are a little bit younger, not as much tenured, do a little bit more of a deeper dive within history. So again, I could tell just from you, the environment in which you grew up, that was something that really motivated you to dive into the history and things of that nature, right? What advice would you have for those who may have not grown up in a similar environment, things of that nature, but need to know a little bit more about the history to empower them? What advice would you have for them? Man, and, and thank you again, Marcus, for your words, brother. I, I truly appreciate that, man. To answer that question, Marcus, you know, uh, we all know the statement that uh, blackness is not uh, monolithic. So it's not, you know, it doesn't just fit for my circumstance in a rural small town like Reesville. Um, it don't, it doesn't just fit for someone that might grew up in Chicago or LA. Um, I think what we all have in common is, again, we all share the same ever presence of if we see a police car coming up behind us on the highway, you know what I'm saying? Shoulders get stiff. Eyes get, get big. You wondering, dog, man, I know I, I know I wasn't, I know I wasn't speed. You start second, you start second guessing yourself. You start thinking, was I speeding? Was I, did I cut somebody off? We all can share that as a people. We all can share going into the workplace or at one time in our life going into a workplace with a manager that just constantly kept disrespecting us because wherever you are located in this nation as a black person you either are on your pathway to not have a job or you have currently a job uh, to make ends meet we know the reality of of this nation and you know trying to to make ends meet Nine times out of 10, a lot of us have two jobs where we're working one job, one main job, and then Uber Eats on the weekend just so we can invest into another job. But in either case, you have a job. So I think just starting there, finding what it is in your specific area or region, because as, as though I was messing with the, uh, we had an influence and folks with Confederates in the Klan, that was my kind of surroundings. For you, it could be the police. Both are equally important and both are equally serious. Or for someone else, it could be gentrification in your community. And we all can agree to say that there is something in almost every city, gentrification, redlining, voter suppression, uh, workers' rights, uh, poverty, uh, a lack of concern for the youth in the community. We all can see that there are different patterns or trends. So I always say, you know, without saying for the sake of, you know, just digging into an abroad abyss of history, get in where you fit in. Whatever you're working on, whatever it is that calls to your heart, whatever you see as the issue in your community, start looking up more information, more history about that. If you've seen that, uh, okay, we got gentrification uh, or we're losing jobs. Okay, well, maybe I want to look up the Great Migration to see when black folks went to these places that we talk about now, like Chicago, New York, or LA, or uh, Baltimore, to get jobs and see where, where all that movement went to and what evolved from there. How did, they, how did they live in that urban setting? How did they form? How did they get together? So I always say finding or relating what is an issue that's in front of you currently, and then kind of expounding on that, and then not putting all the weight into the school system's hands or putting all the weight into your teacher's hands. Put the weight in your own hands. Put, I always say put the weight in your own hands. Do your own independent research. There are certain figures that they're not going to teach you about. You're not going to know the full timeline about Malcolm X 
before Malcolm X, Detroit Red. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to know the full timeline about the Black Panthers. I was taught that they were a terrorist group. So you're not going to know this stuff. So just understanding that the tool, knowledge is a power and knowledge is a tool, but it's a tool to your freedom and liberation because we are still fighting the same fight. It's might, it might be a little bit different. And the hues might changed up a little bit on the on the portrait, but we're still fighting that same fight for freedom and liberation and revolution for our people. So really doing your own independent research and finding what relates the most to you in your surrounding areas, I would say it could be a good place to start. Man, that's that's powerful, man. Again, appreciate that advice for our listeners, because I think it's, it's extremely valuable. But I start to think about some of the youth that we work with. And one of the things that we always say is a child can't be what a child can't see. And I think sometimes that a child is so focused on what's in front of them right now that they don't even realize the abundance that's in their communities. And I love how you said that, um, you know, regardless if it's a negative thing, where it's the Klansmen, it's the police, what have you, you were able to go back and reference history, history to see affluent Black people doing things for their people. But I think that... um man, you know, they say, if you want to hide something from a black person, put it in a book. Like, so how do you combat that? Like, where did you find the passion to say, all right, I want to not only study the history of it, but I'm, I'm willing to do the research, do the work to find out about my ancestors and how they moved through, whether it was redlining, it was the Jim Crow in the South. Like, where did you find the passion to, to start to read and find that information and self-educate versus uh, allow the school to do be your education? Well said, James, well said. Uh, so I was lucky, you know, my mother was a uh, librarian. So constantly, you know, getting up at 4.30 in the morning, um, and I don't even think there's any dew in the grass at 4.30 in the morning, but getting up at 4.30 in the morning, getting to school, summertime when they're setting up for the lesson plans, I would always be in the library reading and constantly feeding and feeding in and on that, on that knowledge. Um, so I had that bonus of coming from a place of educators, and then I also had, I'm, I'm be honest with you too, James, because I can, I'll, I'll be able to speak on the privilege I had. I, I also had the privilege, you know, I had an aunt that was in the school system. So I had mentors surrounding me that would, you know, drop different gyms, you know, like they dropped out of PE all around um, about different figures, Langston Hughes. And I would just pick up on it. I would grab to it. I wanted to utilize it because it was someone that looked like me. Um, and it was kind of like, you know, trap my body, but not my mind type thing. I felt like at that age and at that point, we were in this small town, but they could not trap our minds. And if our minds could not be trapped, and that means that um, that means that our arms could not be unbroken because we can keep growing in on this organizing and we can keep building. But to answer your question too, James, about the youth that, you know, the power in the book, I also believe too, brother, it's all about finding what works best for you. And I say, you know, I, I, I highly encourage our youth to read. Um, and if you're struggling with reading, you know, take your time reading. I, I encourage, you know, at the top, do documentaries. Maybe you may be a visual individual or audio. Listen to some Black Star. Me and uh, Marcus is talking about hip hop, Jay. Listen to some Black Star. Most Def, Talib Kweli. Um, so I also believe in meeting the youth where they are. Because when you dig into the school system, it's a system that has language that don't necessarily speak to our people. And there can be a lot of racism 
in language that is used to kind of deteriorate, you know, deter us away from understanding of who we are or understanding a certain term. It happens almost every day in the school system. You know, you got a giraffe, you got a turtle and you got a fish and you telling them, get up the tree the fastest and a sloth. Well, you know, the turtle ain't going to climb that tree and a fish ain't even in the water. So, you know, you're not giving them the fair opportunity to advance with their best attributes in a place where they can advance. And I feel like that's a that's that happens to a lot of our young black youth. So one of the things in which I want to shout out, Marcus, again, um, the opportunity and the connection with uh, Miss Wilson at Shaw Academy, who does incredible work. And I mean, a, a powerful, powerful, powerful black woman does incredible work in our communities for our youth. Um, I had the honor and the privilege of coming out now, which is monthly, uh, to the school, Shaw Academy, and to work with the future out there. And one of the biggest things I like to lead with is using hip hop, like me and Marcus used in a, in a form of jubilee and celebration, using hip hop as a way for us to not only tap into our history, but tap into ourselves fight back against the self-hatred that they put out there on us black men and women, fight back against it. So we take hip hop, you take a couple minutes, we'll listen to an artist like Kendrick Lamar, break down his environment and different songs like Good Kid, Mad City. Then we have the students take their own, we'll put on a beat, have the students write their own verse and talk about their own environments in a cool way that can make sense to them. Maybe it's not Kendrick, maybe it's NBA Youngboy. He has some pain in his lyrics. That young boy be talking about all kinds of stuff that is mind boggling, but it's the stuff that our young men and women are facing in our, in, a, in our communities. So my biggest thing, James, is, you know, you know, I, like I say, again, get in where you fit in and then build from there. If your lane of interest is documentaries, okay, you take a documentary, then maybe you add a book on. But don't look at it as a form of intimidation with the book. Look at it as a form of trying to find my lane to learn and to get in information and then kind of expanding and building from there. Bro, I love that, man. You said so much stuff that it was like, man, I really hope that the listeners grab that because you said that um, you can chain my body, but you cannot chain my mind. Me and Marcus were just having a conversation where I said a lot of people operate out of their memory instead of their imagination. And I love what you said about the, the chaining of the body, but not the mind, because I think that the circumstance sometimes is so severe or it feels so real that it's like there is nothing that I can do to get out of this. But if you were to, not, like you said, just watch a documentary, just learn some type of wisdom about whatever it is that you're dealing with and then apply that because you said it best, like, you know, knowledge is power, but I believe that it's applied knowledge that is actually the power. So. Um, however the kids get their information, I think that they have to find avenues to use that information because without using it, it's just pretty much thoughts floating around in your head. And then you said something that we always implement is meeting a kid where they are or meeting a person where they are. And I think that that is tremendously important, especially coming from the youth. And I think sometimes it is a struggle um, trying to find the kid's carrot right? Like whatever is the thing that's motivating them. But I think that you found something super dope, which is music. Because to me, music and sports, that is a universal language. Like that is something that everybody is able to bond through and with, because like you said, whether it's NBA Youngboy, um, whether it's, you know, J. Cole, whether it's Kendrick Lamar, there are messages from their experience that they are teaching through their music, whether it's good or bad. And I know that the youth can resonate with all of that. So Man, again, like, you know, we've been giving a lot of flowers, man, but shout out to you and kudos to you because 
I think that to really do this work, you have to be extremely passionate about it. And, um, you know, we are all young black men. And just to hear how wise you are in this area, it, 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 it makes me proud to be who I am and to be in this space. So, again, kudos to you, brother. Hey, that, there's a reason he on with us, man. I'm telling you, I, I, I stamped that boy 100%. But um, kind of just recapping on one thing you said. I got to put a spotlight on the black women in our community, right? Again, we're, we're, we're three affluent black men here. But again, you talked about the women who exposed you to this education. You talked about the mom, the librarian, these individuals who had vested interest in you to expose you to these different things. And our black women have carried this on their backs for so long, right? I was talking to my, my brother Casey. Uh, we had a recent black history forum, and he said to educate a black woman is to educate the whole village. Right. And I and I really I really reflected on that throughout the, the whole conversation. We have to understand, man, the women are really the pioneers within our communities, right? They're they're the caregivers, they're they're the ones who are passing on this education to the next generation. And again, man, we won't be nothing without the black women in our life. So I want to take take time, three brothers on a call. Let's get these beautiful women, our queens, those flowers that they deserve, right? But let's also talk about how the, the educational component. I can relate coming from a predominantly white city, man, being in the AP, the honors classes. And originally I didn't want to be there. And it wasn't because I was scared or intimidated. None of my boys was there. None of my peoples was there. It, it was an unfamiliar territory. But until I had one of my counterparts sit down with me, who was one of my football partners who said, Dag, you're here. That right then and there, let me know that this is where I need to be. And every time I score a test grade, I'm going to put it over to the to the edge of the table so you can see that I outscored and I outwork your butt. You feel me? So it was motivation for me. And even in the recent speech we gave, um, I talked about normalizing Black beauty, bureaucracy, and brilliance and redefining what a nerd is. Malcolm X, right? The Black Panther Party, which you talked about, Marcus Garvey, all these men were nerds. They were brilliant. They were very versed within their craft. And we've got away from that because of the TikToks, because of the social media, because of the propaganda. We have to understand that they don't want us to know the real brilliance that lies within us. And it's on us to continue to normalize being a nerd. That's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. The nerds of today is going to be your boss tomorrow if you don't align with them. And I'm very cautious of that now. But I appreciate my mom, my grandma, my grandfather for being a black first principal in my arena to expose me to this, to let me know that, yo, you were destined for greatness, regardless of what anybody else says. And there was a lot of people who doubted it. But again, look where we are today. Look at the impact in which we have on the youth. And it we wouldn't have the ability if we didn't take that leap of faith and we didn't work to, again, redefine what being a nerd is and what being cool is. So again, man, just kudos to you just across the board. So again, I want to pivot a little bit. So I know a passion for you and an outlet for you is boxing, right? So for you to be so knowledgeable, to be a nerd, to be brilliant, but also be able to knock somebody out when it comes down to it, right? Let's talk about that versatility and what exposed you to boxing and why why have you continued to align in that arena? Man, uh, again, uh, well stated, Marcus, uh, on your statement about our black women. Uh, a hundred percent. I could go on for 50 million years about that, but I won't, I won't even dig into it. I won't even dig into it. Um, but to answer your question, brother, uh, I, uh, got exposed to 
combat sports when I was about, I want to say either six or seven, I think six or seven. Um, again, shout out, shout out to my mom. Um, I wanted to, I had a lot of energy. Essentially, I had a lot of energy and uh, I wanted to be able to channel all the energy and hyperness and things like that, that I was, you know, facing or had within. So my first love was Taekwondo, karate, Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu. It was like a, a dojo that was like the only dojo in Reesville, like right up the streets uh, from the double wide trailer parks, right up the street. I would always pass it because it was next to the chicken plant. So it smelled horrible. And I would tell, I would tell my mama, I, you know, I want, I want to, you know, I want, I would like to do that. I want to, I want to go there. I want to go there. And eventually uh, she took me for my word because at that young age, my mom didn't want me uh, getting into, you know, football and things like that just yet. She wanted me to uh, pick up something else. And I was already playing other sports like basketball and soccer, all this stuff. But it didn't really grab me in. So when I started my my journey in jujitsu, karate at that age, my gym teacher at the elementary school was also my sensei. He was a black belt. So every time that I would go to school um, in the summer or early, I would train with my sensei. So I would have I would be putting in at least way over like 40 hours of just training punches, right hooks, punches, punches uh, with my sensei there. And what's kind of funny, too, is it just started growing and growing because I didn't look at it as much as a pugilistic outlet for me to kind of beat down on people, things like that. I looked at it as a, like a science and channeling all of the noise I had in my in my mind. Uh, George Conrad Jackson, who is a great individual when we talk about Black August, who uh, was a panther and was in solitary confinement, would always say that while he was locked up and trying to build his understanding of Black power and building his and organizing within those walls, he would do forms of Tai Chi, Karate, Muay Thai to kind of channel all that energy and the breathing that he had happening. And that's even something I do with the kids. Before we get started with any type of lesson, any type of form, I know the impact it had on me and learning karate. It made me more disciplined. It helped me kind of calm down to just all of the chatter inside when there will be a, a moment where I might want to get a little bit angry or react in an over emotion or kind of go all the way out. I was able to always bring it back in and channel that meditation that comes with karate or learning a martial arts. So I will have the kids do breathing techniques. I say picture that picture you see a imagine you see a square and you want to breathe in to connect the square, breathe out to connect the other side, breathe in, breathe out to connect the other side. That alone, whenever you're in a moment of a crisis or you feel like your blood pressure raising through the roof can help channel you and bring you back in. So honestly, Marcus, that was my love, man, and got me attached to uh, martial arts, which once I broke away from it to play football in high school, I returned back to it like 23 and just doing boxing. But what's kind of funny is how we met in the Black Self-Defense Day event. Um, it was something I already was doing kind of as a kid, because as a youth, I would with my dojo and my uh, my dojo and my, my sensei, we would go around and we would perform different katas. We would perform different katas at elementary school teaching self-defense. So that was what I was doing in kind of elementary school. So 
a lot of the black self-defense kind of came back full full motion of some of the things I was doing as a kid. But that's really was my love for it, man. It's just something about being able to pick up a discipline and not even just trying to beat people, but pick up a discipline and learning to uh, hit that workout when you don't want to hit it. Cutting out any fast foods, cooking your own home-cooked meals, uh, staying focused, you know, working on pushing yourself beyond your limits. Because I always tell everybody, you never fully know how far you're willing to go until you get into that ring. The ring is a, a chamber of truth and it exposes all characters of uh, every individual when they get inside of it. So uh, that's one of the biggest things I love about boxing and uh, combat sports. Bro, I love it. I love it. Again, man, it's, it's so much alignment on this call that is so dope. Um, like the whole time you were talking about like Taekwondo, karate, boxing, like the, the first word before you said it that came to my mind was discipline. And we have this belief that the more disciplined you are, the more freedom that you have. Um, because yes, yeah, you could have easily been like, oh man, this bully or this person is picking on me in, in grammar school or elementary and high school and just decided to beat them up because you had the ability to. But the discipline that it took, it gives you a level of freedom, right? And then the second piece was the, the breathing. Um, when we, whenever we do a restorative justice peace circle, or we call it conflict resolution circle, what have you, we always start with three deep breaths. And very similar to what you were talking about, we try to focus on being present because when you take those three deep breaths, like you are in a room where you are loved, you are cared about, you are safe. And that's the biggest piece about having these peace circles is letting people know that they are in a safe space. So I think that that is phenomenal because we all know that man, life be life. You know, it's a lot of stuff going on around us, whether it's, you know, at work, at school, with our friends, and it's always something that can bring us down. But those three, those deep breaths, that regulates everything that brings you to this present moment so that you can enjoy what you are doing now and be safe in it. So, man, I, I love that. Like I said, it's so much alignment on the call. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about networking. Um, is that something that you you value doing? Because it sounds like, man, whenever you're going to these different spaces, you're either looking at learning something or connecting with somebody. Um, and it maybe came from the education background that you have with your aunt and your mom. But like, where did the importance of networking become present in your life or when? Man, uh, definitely. Uh, and, and also, man, uh, restorative. I, I love everything you said, brother. Uh, that is... We need more of that, man. And um, I won't dive into that too long because we can go we can go about 15 more podcast episodes on that. But uh, there is a, an essential need before we do any type of work to really reconcile and hone in on our mental health uh, as black people, because, you know, we we are brought up drenched in trauma environments so what you just said about the restorative aspect of breathing that's super important man so you know again extending those kudos to you and leading those type of works seminars and workshops brother um that's powerful uh i'm gonna tell you james network became serious for me when um again when i was on that campus at duke <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was uh it was try and, and disguising as a student on my 20 to 30 minute lunch break to get on in there. Um, I, I really understood the, the, the power of networking because again, you know, um, 
I'm a high school, you know, I graduated from high school, but I do not have a uh, college degree. Uh, so for me, uh, my life has always been devoted to doing work in the community and always working in community. And at that time, me and some friends had an organization, which was Unknown Society, working with HBCUs and reading and literature and uh, community service hours. Um, but again, I wanted to be able to connect the dots on workers' issues. And I wanted to be able to connect the dots with other individuals, whether it be in the nonprofit world and the grassroots world, but we weren't able to really meet as many folks. So again, James, I always say the minutes and the hours that you have in a day are crucial to what you do with them. So when everybody was, you know, you know, we everybody eating the ramen noodles or chilling in the, in the chilling in the shed, my biggest thing was getting on my uh, getting on the gator. That's what we call it. It's like the little uh, golf cart uh, when we load up our lawnmowers and things like that. Getting on the gator, going to the main campus of Duke, parking somewhere in the student student parking lot, walking to campus, going to student services saying, you know, I'm looking, I'm kind of having a long day today. I'm looking for the political science class. You know, I'm not trying to get trans, I'm a transfer. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to find a class. Oh, yes, sir. If you go here, 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 and just connecting those dots, talking to some of the students on the campus. I have debates with students about, you know, there was times, uh, there was a moment, James, where I was just on campus and we were working and um, a white student came to uh, me and my boys uh, and said, you know, I, I think it's amazing that they give individuals a second chance that were formerly incarcerated. And we just stopped. You know, James and, and Marcus, y'all know when you have a moment in your life when you say, Man, when somebody hit me with this, I'm going to tell that mother, I'm going to tell them off. I'm going to tell them off. I'm going to tell them off. We all have those moments. But for me, I was more in shock that they even had the audacity to say those words to me and my brothers that were working there. So why did I tell all that? Because my networking with purpose can really get you the results you need when you're networking with purpose and you have an outer goal of service i truly believe god is going to place those individuals in your life that needs to be in your life it's going to be in your path uh you know i think of uh the movie it was friday night lights with booby mouse when they said when the, uh, when the cat asked booby he was like yo did you live he said no nah, this is god's plan all i got to do is just show up and that's the thing so the networking that I was doing at that time was charged by purpose. I knew that me and my brothers working on this land, doing this landscaping, we were on a modern day plantation. The way they were treating black workers and workers in general at Duke University. So it became imperative by the comments the students were saying to me, by the working conditions I had and me and my brothers had to push myself and to network. And by the grace of God, it landed me a pathway to be able to you know, to do the work that I'm doing now. I couldn't really foresee this, to be honest with both of y'all. I couldn't really foresee it. I just wanted to find a way to, you know, be of resource and of service to the issues that Black workers were facing at Duke University, like myself, so we can organize and fight back against the system. And that pushed the whole network and it gave it a purpose. So everything came together flawlessly. 
Uh, that's that's a prime example, man. It seemed like that that specific example really motivated you and charged you up. And to your point, like it was divine, you know, almost. But the fact that you put yourself in that specific arena, you saw what the workers, you know, faced on a consistent basis. So that gave you the fuel in which you needed to segue. And again, ev everything in life happens for a reason. And you were present to be in that position and you network to get you connected with the next stage of your life. So I'm going to actually just talk about the current stage in which you are in your life. I know, again, just personally, you're, you're people of the people, right? So you always advocating for these people who aren't in quote unquote, the best working conditions and finding yourself in that, right? Working in this landscape and job on do. How are you currently serving your purpose through your passion? Right. And how are you currently making a difference and advocating for those who may not be in the best working conditions? Man, absolutely, Marcus. Absolutely. Um, so right now, currently, I work with a organization uh, named the National Black Worker Center. And the main mission and uh, purpose of our organization is to dismantle any type of white supremacy, discrimination, uh, racial discrimination, uh, harassment, um, wage and hour discrepancies, health and safety, you name it, in the workplace facing our Black workers. So that pushes my, uh, my drive and my work for the community. Which means like right now, currently, uh, one of the biggest things that we're focusing in on is a certain industry, which is the meat packing industry, meat processing plant. Uh, one of the things when 2020 came around for COVID-19, that was uh, kind of not overlooked, but it was kind of woven in with the other issues that Black folks were facing was the growing increasing numbers of black workers dying at plants. Uh, we hear about Amazon workers protesting because of their horrible, uh, the horrible conditions that they're facing. I mean, we're talking about uh, women having diapers. We're talking about uh, men carrying uh, uh, liter, liter bottles to urinate in because they don't have the adequate amount of minutes to uh, use the bathroom without being under certain uh, certain type of surveillance. Uh, we're talking about the reels of these type of environments. So for us currently, we're looking into these uh, meat processing plants and specifically, like I said a little bit earlier, in these rural small towns where you kind of are faced, you're kinda, your back is kind of faced against the wall and decisions of what you want to do. When you always knew your uncle, your granddaddy, and your whole family, your mother, your auntie going to the same plant. So a lot of folks go and work at these plants. The reality is when 2020 came around and we were facing COVID-19, it was several plants that got hit hard that became a hot spot or nesting bed for spreading COVID-19 throughout the community. And a big contributor to that was these meat packing processing plants. They didn't have the right proper ventilation. They didn't have the plexiglass to separate uh, workers adequately. They didn't disperse the proper amounts of masks or gloves to workers. And you gotta keep in mind, you're right beside each other, elbow to elbow in a sweaty hot meat processing plant with a foggy glasses on where you can barely see, which is already a hazard, with huge utensils and butcher knives, deboning the meat, putting it on conveyor belts. So 
you know, several folks were, you know, leaving work that had COVID, that got super sick in these small towns um, that were facing it. Several folks passed away in North Carolina. Black workers passed away due to the conditions of the meat uh, processing plants, um, even across the nation. And uh, the crazy thing about it is, what's so wild is a lot of folks that worked there, especially in these times, I'm trying to see if I can paint a scenario of how bizarre it can get. You may have a situation where an individual is working at a plant. This is one of the cases where our local plants end up in uh, the year 2020 with the COVID outbreak. You may have a situation where a black worker is working at a plant and they have caught COVID and they want to take some time off and to the point where they could really file a complaint. And see, that's a part of our rights. We can file a complaint through OSHA when there's a health and safety hazard happening in the workplace. And then OSHA can then proceed to uh, have an investigation. Uh, you can file a complaint. You can organize with your local union or you can organize with a local worker center or you can organize with yourself even better because the power is in you. But this person, uh, instead of getting adequate amounts of time to recover, or actually going about those type of procedures, the company just said instead, you know, hey, we want you to really, if even if you think you may have it, we need you to come through for the organization. We need you to come into work. So if you can come into work, we'll give you a gas card to give a free tank of gas on us. Who don't want a free tank of gas to, ro to ri risk your life? Risk your life. You, you may die, but you will die with your gas tank on food. You may die, but that SUV, that Cadillac, or that Honda Civic, that joint about to be all the way full. So that was the offer that these plants were giving to several of their workers. And so, again, um, when I talk about, you know, connecting with Black workers, that was an issue for us that we saw at an alarming rate. What we also saw connected to these plants, Marcus and, um, and James, was the temp agencies. And for me, when I was working at Duke, it was through a temp agency. So I was facing all types of different uh, exploitation and not as much as a lot of my friends or those who I worked around who were formerly incarcerated because you're limited on options on occupations or jobs that you can get. And so these companies and these organizations, these corporations, these plants know that. So then they're able to kind of manipulate you and exploit you in your hours. Oh, where well, you are formerly incarcerated. We know that you need this job. So you know what? We're going to save a couple of bucks and we're going to skip out on giving you benefits. So no health insurance for you. However, we're going to ask you to work 60 hours Monday, come in on a Sunday, maybe sometimes. And I want you to take the harder jobs on the next floor of the plants that, you know, other workers can't really do because they can't afford to be injured. But you don't mind doing it, right? These are the realities of the temp agencies connected in the South to these meat processing plants. And this, uh, again, this is not a phenomenon that happened just in 2020. I believe 2020 was just the uh, the rattler on the serpent. It, it, it exposed just so many other horrible things happening. But 
this has been going on for years. This has been going on for years and black workers and workers in general have been suffering for years at these plants. So uh, right now we're, we're, we're facing forward and going into these plants, holding Know Your Rights training, launching our program called Black, Black Legal Action Community Knowledge, which is in partnership, a legal partnership to uh, be able to hear these issues, see if there's our issues. Maybe we can uh, file a lawsuit. Maybe we can work together closely with the Department of Labor um, that we're building a relationship with. And, and overall, just organize our Black workers and knowing their rights not for the sake of us coming in saying this is what you should know, but for the sake of saying that we're going to provide resources for some things for the rights that you can have and utilize yourself to lead yourself. Because I don't believe in just one individual person coming in or doing this. I believe collectively in the people because we're stronger as a fist than we are like fingers. So that is uh, really right now the kind of the focus that we have, you know, pertaining to black workers, uh, specifically here in North Carolina. Man, that, that was a bar, man. He said we are stronger as a fist than we are as fingers, man. And and I got to thank you for, for bringing awareness to this, this issue, uh, especially on our podcast, because, you know, I can speak for myself. Like I knew that there was a, a certain amount of things going on in different factories that a lot of the people that never have worked in the factory um, can understand. So I definitely want to give you one kudos for doing the actual work that's important, but also um, just bringing light and awareness to what's actually happening, because I can guarantee you that, you know, some of our listeners tapping in will say, man, I have an uncle that works at a factory. I wonder if he deals with that. Um, I have a, a parent, you know, that works in a factory or used to that told me similar stories. So again, man, thank you for for bringing awareness to that. But um, as we close out, um, we always like to ask, if anybody wanted to get in contact with you or tap in with the work that you're doing or support you, how could they find you? No, absolutely. Um, to best reach me, um, again, my name is Isaiah Withers. So that's I-S-A-I-A-H-W-I-T-H-E-R-S. Um, you can find me again on Facebook. You can find me on social media. Um, and my first and last name at gmail.com is my email address for anyone that wants to reach out to me directly or to or wants me to expound or anything I spoke about tonight or provide any type of uh, information or historical information or presentation pertaining to some of the figures or historical context that I spoke about tonight, I can definitely provide that. That is, again, Isaiah, I-S-A-I-H-W-I-T-H-E-R-S at gmail.com. You can also reach me on um, uh, Instagram at Isaiah C-Y, um, that is I-S-A. I-A-H-C-Y. Um, and again, uh, my full name, you can find me on LinkedIn and uh, any other type of uh, platform. I, the only thing I'm not on is uh, Twitter or TikTok because like, you know, that I, I can't keep up fast enough. Uh, I can't keep up fast enough. Um, but anything else you can, you can pretty much find me on. And again, uh, I love engaging in these conversations. I love engaging with the people. So it ain't nothing to shoot me a message, direct message, shoot me an email for any questions you may have or any ways uh, you may be facing something, whether it's police accountability, uh, work with the youth, or maybe you are a black worker dealing with some issues in the workplace and 
you feel like you're isolated or you feel like you're alone or you feel like you don't have the answers that you need right now, well, feel free to reach me at any one of those contacts that I mentioned before. And I would love to engage and talk about that as well. That's something that my organization, the National Black Workers Center stands on, amplifying the voices of our black workers, uh, face, no matter what state facing any type of issue in the workplace. So please feel free to reach out at any time. Hey, again, and thank y'all again. Again, as Isaiah said, man, y'all see why we want to bring this brother on the podcast, man. Super fluent, super knowledgeable, somebody who's down to earth who can really speak to the different trials and tribulations in which we face as a community. Um, but again, as we're giving a lot of flowers, um, it's a lot of bouquets being exchanged upon this, man. But really just hearing his his passion for history, learning really how to channel that inner emotions, those that energy that comes through boxing and um, understanding the inner workings that come with networking. Again, I think this has been a groundbreaking conversation. We've had a lot of great back and forth dialogue, but really and truly, we want to make sure that y'all are able to implement these different things in which we discuss on a consistent basis and truly work to grow together in which we try to exemplify what on this call. Um, so again, James, as we close out, man, where can the people find us? Hey, man, y'all can find us on YouTube. You can find podcasts everywhere you get your podcast. And then, man, you can find us on IG and TikTok at Let's Grow Together Pod. And then if you want to tap in with the organization and hear about, you know, the nine programs that we run it, you can tap in on IG at A Greater Good Foundation. Yes, sir. And again, you can tap in Roots Mentoring at R period O period O period T period S mentoring on ig on facebook and everywhere else but again as always we are let's grow together and we appreciate your time and energy family y'all be blessed let's continue to elevate <laughs>